Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. show features Patrick Hartman, General Manager at Diversified Systems International. With 29 years in the AV and systems integration industry, Patrick has extensive experience in roles such as project management, business development, system and design engineering, and the installation of systems in both residential and commercial verticals. Patrick joined DSI, a Reno-based integration firm 10 years ago, and has spearheaded their residential sector. Today, Patrick's extensive list of repeat customers reflects his trademark level of customer service from smaller projects all the way to projects that span years with budgets over $3 million. We live streamed this interview on our One Firefly Facebook page on Wednesday, November 11th, 2020 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In this conversation, we discussed Patrick's experience as a CEDIA volunteer, a recap of the virtual CEDIA 2020 educational offering, what industry events might look like in 2021, and Patrick's focus on work-life balance, including his participation in Spartan races. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's jump into my interview with Patrick Hartman. Patrick, hello, sir. How you doing? I'm super duper. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Good to see you. So where are you coming to us from? Let's start there. Currently, I'm in Carson City, Nevada, the state capital of Nevada. Um, company's out of Reno, about 30 miles north of here. Got it. So are you commuting to the office or are you doing the home office thing or how are you guys managing that? A little of both. Um, we... We only have six of us, four of us that are in the office at any given time. So we're splitting our duties in the office to make sure we cover deliveries and you know those types of things. But everything else is virtual. Okay. So we run up to the office whenever we need certain things, supplies or plotting plans or whatever, having small meetings. Um, but generally speaking, it's it's been remote. So you're there at the home office, and I know because you and I were chatting just before, you actually have a guest that's going to join us for this interview, don't you? That's what I heard. <laughs> you, want, you want to go get the guest? You want to start that now? Yeah, let's do oh. it. Bring it, bring him on. Bring, bring, bring it over. I think it's fun. He's like, Ron, are you sure you want to do that? I was like, yeah, why not? It's fun. There you go. All right, so who, who's our special guest? So this is my ball python I've had for 14 years. Doesn't okay. really have a name. My dad calls it babushka. We, we're pretty sure it's a female. Uh, okay. About three and a half feet uh, long. Uh, probably one of the best snakes to have for kids and families. I've been a snake fan since I was a little kid. I used to go out and catch them. I lived in California in the fields and uh, feed them live rats and mice and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, just kind of a cool little pet to have around. That is so, and you, when you, you've had her for 14 years. So when you get her, is she an egg or is she like a little? Oh, no, it was a baby. It was from a, from a, uh, a farm. Okay. A little teeny tiny baby. And uh, it's grown over the years. It's gone from uh, very small feedings to uh, large rats now. All right, so Pat, uh, so Brandy, <laughs> Brandy says, uh, "Let's see here if I could get the comments." Uh, Brandy says hello from Las Vegas, and then uh, she gives us the uh, blank stare, like, "Oh my God, he's got a snake." Yeah, uh, and that uh, some might be scared of that. Some people snake. love him, and some people hate him. And they hear they hear it's a snake in the cage. You're like, "Nope, get me away from it." And some people are like, "I want to touch it." All right. Well, well, Mackenzie, uh, who's signed in, she goes, uh, "Welcome to uh, welcome to the show, Babushka." Oh yeah, and of course, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thanks, thanks, guys, for for tuning in. All right, so Babushka can hang out with us. Um, tell the audience, Patrick, just a little bit about DSI and maybe the 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 relationship with the parent company. 
And then I want to go back, uh, like we always do on Automation Unplugged, I want to kind of go back into your origin story. So um, DSI just turned 25 years old uh, this month. Um, Don Huggins founded the company back in 1994. Um, actually, uh, 94-95. Uh, and he was primarily a fire suppression company. And about 10 years into the, into the business, he opened up a pro audiovisual division to handle a lot of things like the Aces ballpark here in town, which is the AAA ballpark for the Diamondbacks. We did Reno Ballroom. We do very large commercial res, uh, commercial pro audio, audiovisual jobs. And um, I joined 10 years ago. So, you know, they had been going on probably 15 years when I joined. And I brought in the residential side of the business. Um, we did a lot of uh, work up in uh, Lake Tahoe, Truckee area, large communities doing, you know, um, uh, showrooms and stuff for different corporations conference rooms, et cetera. Anyway, long story short, uh, residential came into the picture and uh, uh, we've been kicking it for 10 years or since I've been here. And uh, and then about five years ago, we got bought out. Uh, Don decided to retire at age 71. We got bought out by a national company that um, specialized in fire suppression. And we were half of the business. We were half of the revenue of the business. So we became an anomaly in the purchase and they didn't know what to do with us. So my vice president at the time just let us continue to run, operate the business as usual. As long as we met the numbers and do our thing, we we're good. And while that was happening, it was what I call the two-year speed bump, kind of working for a company that didn't really know what we were doing. Um, I met up with uh, Ron Wanless, the owner of uh, TDA Enterprises out of Oregon, Bend, Oregon. Him and I have become pretty good friends over the years, and uh, we got to talking, and you know, here we are, three years ago, uh, be three years ago, coming up, I guess it's March. We've been part of the TDA team and the family, and um, operating out of Reno as a separate entity. Same company, same parent company. We have same all the same processes, same policies, same procedures. Um, so we're kind of an anomaly to TDA because they've been, you know, homegrown local business in the Pacific Northwest and recently expanded into, into Arizona. So are there other branches or divisions of TDA and other markets? Yeah. So Bend, Oregon um, is, is the, uh, is headquarters. Um, we now have uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We have uh, Portland, Oregon, Ashland, Oregon. Um, I'm forgetting one. Oh, we have one in Idaho as well. So we opened up one in Idaho and then obviously here in Reno. So um, I think I'm catching all of them. There's six of them total. Um, and we make up about oh, somewhere around $4 million of business a year. So we're a fairly large company. Um, DSI in Reno is six strong. And uh, I don't think I have anybody on my team that's been here less than three years. Wow. Very cool. And I'm curious, the, the, uh, and TDA and you're, you're now a part of TDA, the, are, are you guys all run all, all locations run as independent businesses with separate P and L's or do you guys operate as one and just you're operating in all these markets? We all have our own P and L. We obviously all wrap up into the corporate P and L, but we do manage our own P and L. We do run our own entity. Um, we have a central services. So what I mean by that is, uh, each division uh, has a central purchasing person, HR person, accounting person. So we don't have that locally in our branch. Uh, that's all done at a bend um, or through other you know, parts of the country. But we, we uh, use that central services to support us. And then we just operate our business as usual here. Got it. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that that quick overview. Let's go back into your origin story. How how did you land in this crazy business? And you've clearly decided to stay here for a while. So yeah, I um I had a uh, internship option in 1991, coming out of college. I was right in the middle of college actually, to leave for the summer and go to the Bay Area and work for a very good friend of mine, or a friend of our family who became one of my mentors. Um, he was in charge of the good guys. Uh, if you remember the old Circuit City and Good Guys stores, 
Well, Good Guys was the West Coast version of Circuit City. I'm from Virginia, so Circuit City was born out of, I think, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. So um, the Bay Area, when I got there, there were 22 stores. I left when there were 79 stores. And my role when I first came in was to work in the service department, fixing and helping repair and maintain all of the products that came in that were broken. So you walk into a store, you're saying, hey, the CD player is broken, set it into service. Well, I worked in that service department. And then I got put into um, what we call tech support. So we went out and built stores. So we built, I was on the road for four years between Oregon, Washington, Las Vegas, and Reno building new stores. And we did all the infrastructure wiring in those stores before they became a store. And then once a store got built, we maintained it. We were the support staff for those stores to go make help, you know, the old switching systems back in the speaker rooms, right? We remember those days. Yep. <clears throat> and then I had a great opportunity in 96 or 97 to open up one of the very first uh, home installation departments for a big box store. So Good Guys was one of the very first in the country to open a, what we called home installation at the time. Eric Bodley, some of you guys will, if he's not on this thing, everybody knows Eric Bodley. Him and I toured most of California teaching um, counselor or, you know, sales counselors how to sell home installation and how to sell the service. In 96? Yeah, well, it was, uh, yeah, 96, 97, yeah. Wow. Um, so we started in the Bay Area. I, or I um, hired uh, four district managers to handle four different regions of the Northern Bay area. And they went out and they had a handful of stores that they serviced and they, you know, had the one-offs go in and do a consultation like we do today, which is normal, but we relied on the sales counselors for people coming into the store to promote our business. And so we got to about, uh, I think we had 25 installers, four district managers, probably 30 vans. And then we busted into LA and we started doing it in LA. Um, it didn't take off in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, by the time the good guys fell or, you know, broke out, they got bought by, I don't remember who it was. It was a big uh, computer store company at the time. I was gone in 01. So I was there 10 years and, uh, started from the ground up. It was pretty exciting four years, honestly. Yeah. Sounds amazing. So what, what <laughs> happened in, and then what happened went, in 01? Big box store to multi-million dollar homes with Randy Stearns at Engineer Environments. So it was a major culture shock. I and did not know you went there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So in 01, I got recruited by an ex-good guy employee who got recruited by Randy and he brought me in. And um, in 01, I started with him in the Bay Area managing about four or five million dollars worth of business. And then he decided he was going to go to, or he already had a, a piece of Lake Tahoe area. And I had the opportunity to be either going to Lake Tahoe or potentially going to Hawaii. And so I decided to come up to Lake Tahoe. And um, at the time, Randy had a lot more business in, in um, Hawaii. So he broke off the Lake Tahoe branch and managed that remotely. And then I started another whole venture here with numerous companies since then. And that that's DSI. Uh, DSI, I, I have been. I've only been there for ten years. I've been here eighteen. So I had two other ventures between the time I moved here and the time I came to DSI. Got it. Got it. And what is so? We're here, twenty twenty. We're closer to the end of twenty twenty. This has been the COVID year. Uh, hopefully, one day that we'll look back. Uh, yeah. You know, with this as a distant memory. Uh, it certainly has been had its good parts and bad parts. How has 2020 treated your business? I mean, what's life been like for you, maybe personally and professionally? Yeah, so, you know, thankfully, I think we did a good job as a company seeing this, you know, early on. We 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 took it head on really early on. I tell people I I probably researched the rules and laws of COVID-19 and operating as a as a necessity company in Nevada and even through our company, more than I've researched anything. I mean, we had documents, we had letters approving we could be on the road in case we got pulled over. We had all the PPE early. Uh, we made our own PPE. Some of some of the 
stuff we made ourselves. Um, but we got ahead of the curve very quickly and were prepared for the worst. We had a couple scares on a couple job sites. People came to the job sites, were sick. And, you know, as, as it is now, anybody coughs or sneezes, you wonder what's wrong with this person, you know? And back in the day, it's certainly like, if they're out in public, right? And so we had a couple scares and we learned our lessons from it. So we created uh, questions. There were five or six questions we had to ask every um, owner, every client before we approached their house and before we scheduled a job. They had to answer certain questions. And if they didn't answer them, we had to reschedule. And so we were very upfront, um, very transparent with our, with our clients. And uh, we had a lot of trust. You know, people appreciated that. You know, our guy, our technicians show up and, you know, with gloves on, masks on. They got the full-blown PP, everything. You know, we, to this day, get a lot of clients, oh, take that damn mask off. Nope, this is what we're doing. You know, we're, we are going to protect ourselves and our families and, and your families. And so it's just become the normal. I hope it's not the new normal, but for now it is. It's a new normal for now. And so, yeah, we, we've, we've done the best we can. I mean, uh, each, unfortunately, um, for TDA, we have four states to deal with and four different sets of rules, right? So you got Nevada, you got Arizona, you got Oregon and Washington, and now Idaho. So it's actually five. So every state's a little different. Mandates are different. Lockdowns are different. So, you know, every two weeks, the GMs get together. We talk about it. And what, what, what can we do to help each other out? So we've worked out real well through it. Believe it or not, um, we're on pace for almost hitting our 2020 goal, even with COVID. So first quarter, second quarter, we're a little rough. But um, we kicked it into high gear during the summer. We're just slammed. And we're going to end the year very well. Yeah, I want to get into some of that business makeup, but I'm going to give some shout outs here. Uh, Josh signed in and uh, let me just verify that that's uh, showing up on the screen. Uh, but Josh says, Patrick, uh, good to see you. And then uh, Josh actually comes back in and says uh, he was there at engineered environments at the same time that you were. So that's uh, Josh Willits from portal. That's where I first met Josh. He was uh, a subcontractor at the time, but yes, he's correct. And then uh, we have Monica. Monica, I had uh, her husband Harshul on from Mumbai, India, uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, she says, thank you for bringing all of these lovely experiences and awesome companies and their stories to us. And uh, they, they shared one of the pieces of show art for their Automation Unplugged. Um, uh, event and I, it has literally had hundreds. It's probably the most engaged post for this show we've ever done. And wow! They they are they they started Cedia India. That's great. So, Harshul and Monica and and all the the integrators there in India. So that's thank you, uh, thank you, Monica, for checking out the show. And then uh, Jason. Here at One Firefly, he says, "Hey Patrick, welcome to AU. Couldn't be better things, uh, better timing to be on the show with our upcoming partnership. Looking forward to it. So thank cool. you, J Jason. Yeah, uh, awesome. Lots of good love. So let's talk about the makeup. Let's focus on DSI Reno. What historically, what has the business? And I'm going to speak resi, commercial, or other verticals. If you've served them, what have they been in the past? And what is that?" How has that changed, if at all, here in 2020? So the first four years I was with DSI was primarily commercial, uh, large projects. You know, um, we do a lot of ski resorts. So North Star Vale is now owned by Vale, Heavenly. Um, we do a lot of that type of work up there. Because we were in that environment, we got to do the multi-million dollar condos and do the remodels for the condos and the rental properties, which has been a really good revenue stream for us the last couple of years. Um, and I'd say in the last five years, Resi's really picked up. This year, it was probably 80-20 Resi to commercial mm -hmm. because all the government agencies shut down, You know, all the everything's working remotely, all the conference rooms don't exist anymore. Um, other than like emergency operations centers, which we do a lot of, those have to stay continually running and maintained. But this year was definitely an anomaly. Um, the resi kicked in. 
Um, we had a huge influx of networking work, obviously, and uh, a lot of Lutron work, lighting and shading. So that's really picked up. Um, I'd say it's, you know, it flips between 60, 40 and 40, 60 every year. It's pretty even, generally speaking. Uh, but this year, the resi really picked up. Is that across the the, uh, the full five-state operation for TDA, is that the same or different? No, TDA, generally speaking, on the other five regions are primarily residential. They okay. dabble in a little bit of commercial work. I know that uh, our GM up in Portland is coming to visit uh, next week because he wants to expand on Portland on the commercial world. And he wants to come see what we do and talk to our, our uh, engineer and a project manager that handles the commercial side. So I ex I expect that um, with your company's help at some point on the marketing side, we'll be able to market, you know, commercial work in those other areas. But right now they are primarily residential. Got it. What if you were to pull out your magic eight ball, uh, what what do you think 2021 looks like for mix? At least what with what you know today? You know, I, I think a lot of our clients that we have in Reno and in the Lake Tahoe area, I suspect most of them will come back to full force. Some of them have already started coming back, like the ski resorts, where you're starting to get some work from them. I would say it's probably going to be closer to 70, 30, or 60, 40 this year. I mean, we had just shy of three quarters of a million dollars in the, in the sales funnel in January for commercial, and 80% of that dropped off. Wow. So it was significant. Um, but a lot of it's coming back because we have like, for instance, one of our big clients is the Nevada Department of Transportation. They're not going to wear anytime soon. I mean, that's just tax money, right? Yeah. So we will continue to get work from them all the, all the time, no matter what. Um, I think it's where it's going to slow down. It's in the um, conference rooms, those types of environments. Although we're getting very creative with Josh AI coming out and doing touchless conference rooms. So everything's by voice now. So we're right in the middle of doing that in our conference room to be able to demonstrate what you could do when you walk into a conference room and never have to touch anything. And so I think that's gonna be a really, really big part of 2021. It's gonna be, gonna be a big push for us. Um, so I don't know, we'll see what happens, but we're optimistic. We've got a lot of, lot of stuff in the funnel, a lot of interesting jobs coming up and uh, some great relationships, which, you know, all of our business here, the entire life of DSI has been 100% referral. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's fascinating. I appreciate you sharing that. You, you mentioned Josh. Did you get a chance to do the, uh, the event yesterday with Josh? Did you, did you walk it through? Absolutely. Oh, sh share with our audience. Some are watching, some are listening that maybe did not get that chance. What, what did you learn? Well, if you get a chance, you definitely got to go walk back and watch it. It's uh, a pretty amazing technology, natural language um, within a voice-controlled unit that's that's private, right? It doesn't go out, and it's not out on the uh, on the World Wide Web, and it's not available. It's private. And I think with the type of clientele we deal with in our industry, that's very, very important to them is privacy. And so I think they have a huge leg up on you know, some of the DIY stuff that's out there and even future items. So I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to be able to broadcast it and, you know, market it. Um, and I think it's going to be a, a part of virtually every house in the next five years. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think I, I, it was certainly amazingly or beautifully produced. Yeah. Just the, the attention to detail from beginning to end of, of the whole virtual event it was really first class it was and we're bench awesome. testing it like crazy in two homes in our own two two of our own personal homes and in our office so we're trying to get all the the details of what it can and can't do so that we can start marketing what we want to offer so patrick when i think of cedia i see your face because you've been a no, big time you've been a big time volunteer uh, uh, certainly one of a bunch, but one of the biggest volunteers in Cedia land for many years. I mean, I, I've been volunteering for Cedia or instructing at a much less lesser level than you, but I, I've been involved for about 10, 11 years now. Yeah. And um, what is, uh, first of all, how did that all happen? How, because you, you, you do clearly dedicate and have compartmentalized your time 
so that you make Cedia Cedia as a trade organization and volunteering, you clearly make it a a part of your life. How did that happen? Yeah, without fail. I, um, so I was volunteering for committees, councils back in the day, in the early day, early 2000s. And, uh, um, I got asked to be um, brought in as a potential instructor. And as, as you and I had talked prior to the show, we used to go through the CCI class, yeah. the certified CDA instructor class, right? And in order to teach at CDA, you had to go through the class, you had to pass it. You, you mentioned Eric Bodley's name that you were running around California. Eric, I think, instructed my class in 2009. Yeah. So when I went to that class, I got invited to go to Indianapolis to be part of this five or six guys were guys and girls were brought in to become an instructor and you had to report to your peers. So in the room, I had Frank White. I think I had, um, well, I don't know if Frank was there or not, but Mitch Klein, uh, Ken Erdman, Eric Bodley. I mean, heavy hitters, right? They've been around forever. And so you had to role play and teach and show you how you're going to and be taught how to instruct. And so that was a very eye-opening experience to me. And um, it was, I was honored, you know, to be, to be able to ask to be do that, to do that. But on top of it, I realized that CD really gave a lot to me and to my industry and to my companies over the years from an education standpoint. And once I got deeply involved, probably 15, 16 years ago, I wanted to give back. And so that's was really my motivation was to give back the experiences, to give back the ideas and, and suggestions to improve our industry in certain applications. Mine just happened to be in project management. Um, and so we created, you know, well, project management track was there for years, but we really expanded on that. And I was heavily involved with the PM track early on. <clears throat> and then since then, I got involved with the business working group and the instructor working group, which are two separate entities that basically look at all the content that comes in from people that want to teach and it's vetted out. And that's what makes up the registration brochure every year that we all go to at Expo. And so I was heavily involved with those, those committees. And now I'm dedicating a lot of my time to the instructor side of the pool to elevate all of our instructors at Cedia so that when you pay 129 to $200 a class, you're getting good, good quality education. And it's just not somebody that's trying to sell their services or, you know, just speak to you about a PowerPoint. And so we have a huge initiative this year to kind of set that bar up high and come up with some kind of a plan on how future instructors are gonna instruct virtually and, um, you know, at events. Is the goal to bring back that certification that, that I think you and I did back in the two thousands is that, has that been happening lately or did that get retired at some point and you're going to rebirth it or resurrect it or. There, what there's it? a small version of that that's floating around um, the EMEAU over in Europe and England. They did a great job doing it with a program called the cat program. And we're trying to bring that to the U S and in some fashion, create that culture of what you need to go through to become a CD instructor. So today you are the head of, or you are involved in what level of volunteering at CDA? So still a, still an instructor. It's the first year in all the years I've been there that I did not instruct virtually, which I was okay with. Um, but primarily on the instructor working group, I'm the chairperson for that group. And I'm also a um, conduit to the the bigger group called the Professional Development Advisory Council, which is kind of the head council for all of CEDIA as far as education is concerned. So I get to hear and see and talk through with some brilliant people from all over the world on ideas on what the future education of CEDIA looks like. That's changing literally every every day. What is your read on uh, the success uh, or lack of success and, and I don't mean that with any, I'm not swaying that either way. How did virtual CDA go? How did the education component of virtual CDA go? You know, surprisingly very well. Um, we had a lot of tough road ahead of us when we got the announcement that it was going virtual. 
I mean, you can imagine, right? You're used to going to a trade show across the country. You have a whole set of rules and things you do and the way you do things. And now you've got to produce it virtually. And um, a lot of amazing staff members and volunteers came to the table. Um, I was part of that group to uh, recruit uh, volunteers to go out and find the instructors to fill the holes, to figure out who could become. There were a lot of people that are have been teaching forever that didn't want to teach virtually. They're uncomfortable. Yeah. It's either you're comfortable or you're uncomfortable, right? There's no in between. Yeah. And so it was a it was it was interesting on how that all played out. But in the end, um, education, I thought, went very, very well. We definitely learned some lessons. We definitely learned some, got some ideas from people like yourself, giving feedback from your classes. And um, all in all, it's great. The, a lot of people don't know. All the classes that were offered there are still available to the end of the year. If you buy the education pass for 199 bucks, you have access to all of those classes till the end of this year. And so... I Totally I don't revenues. know those numbers, but the numbers were pretty good, right? I mean, they were, they were, they were really good. I haven't seen, heard, seen the final numbers either, but generally speaking, we had a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of engagement on the vendor side. I'm not so sure how that went because that was handled by Emerald. Hmm. We will see you now. So we're trying to dive into the, the logistics of that and figure out how we can make it better for the vendors and the, and the, um, you know, rep firms. And I know there's some heavy engagement on that coming up soon. Um, but all in all, I mean, we pulled it off. It, it was, there were a lot of tears, a lot of stress, a lot of yelling, a lot of challenges, but maybe a few tears. <laughs> we all pulled, we all pulled through. There was some people that put in just ungodly amounts of hours to make it happen and to work through it. And uh, it was a huge, huge effort. What knowing what you know and, and the conversations you've been in, the meetings you've been in, what what is the forecast or your prediction? Not any formal CDF position, but Patrick Hartman's position on what 2021 is going to look like for industry events. Well, we're obviously planning for a hybrid without fail. You know, it's scheduled to be in Indianapolis this year. Um, we have to be prepared for full virtual. Um, the same thing goes with ISE. I mean, it's moving this year, right? ISE is moving. So it's what, uh, June or July? I think it got moved to June. Yeah. June or July. You're correct. And um, so that whole logistic, I can't even imagine what they're dealing with right now over there. And it's a whole nother world over there locked down right now. So <clears throat> um, I suspect my gut is that I think it's going to be a, a hybrid and we were prepared to do that in 2020 and it didn't happen. Um, but I suspect some formality of that will happen, be my guess, unless something crazy happens. Um, I also suspect, expect that CD is going to look at doing maybe little regional events. Mm. I, I don't know that for a fact. That's just my own opinion. I think it would be a wise decision to do that. People don't have to travel as far, you know, that kind of, the whole, that whole, that whole logistic, right? So that's my prediction. Um, we're obviously going to increase the amount of, um, online education that's increasing every day more and more classes are going online um so i think you're going to see a huge influx of of online training got it. So we got the new certifications coming out the new cit certification um what, what can yeah. you tell us about that well they, they were announced so the the cd uh infrastructure technician the cit training is out on a beta test right now for 50 bucks instead of either 150 or 200 till the end of the month so as a CDA member, if you want to take it for a huge discount right now, it's available. And then I know that they're going to be doing a, a new designer course and a few others I, I, I'm not privy to and I haven't been involved with. But uh, the education or the certification side is coming back pretty heavy um, and it's going to be ANSI accredited, too. So it's, you know, when you go to the, do your test, it's proctored. So it's a real certified certification. Got it. All right. I'm, I'm mindful of time and uh, how much time I have access to use. So I, I want to take us a different direction. Sure. And, and that is a couple of things that are, again, when I, when I think of you and I've known you for many years, one of the things I am just so darn impressed by is your ability to uh, get so many different things done, you know, running your business, but also the volunteering side of the equation. And 
also just your general counsel around work-life balance. And I'd love, you know, I'm going to, that's the softball pitch I gave you. What does that mean to you? Have you always been so good at it or has there been changes that have happened in your life? So this is more of a, a recent occurrence. Yeah. So the short answer is no, it's not been part of my normal career. I mean, anybody that's in this industry knows we spend ungodly amounts of hours doing what we do because we love it, right? It's not because we want to. I, I mean, we do, we want to, right? But doing a 50 hour week was foreign to me up until five years ago, even under 60 hours for that matter. Um, but I realized about five years ago, um, I wouldn't say I took a turn, a bad health turn, but I had, I saw some people that had some health scares and I saw some similarities of things I had that they had that they went through. And I didn't want to be part of that. So I changed my diet, changed my exercise routine. Um, I basically to, to this day, two to three days a week, one hour, every of those three days is dedicated on my calendar for hell or high water to go to the gym or to work out in some capacity. It's just something I've I've got my body and regimen to do to stay in shape in some fashion, and to eat healthy. My wife's always been a healthy eater, and um, we eat very healthy at home, generally speaking. So that changed tremendously. I lost some weight. I got in better shape. I mean, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, right? And I'm, I'm not a young spring chicken anymore. So I had to adapt to my age and to what I wanted to do. And while my body will allow me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so five years ago, I was um, uh, challenged to do a what people know as a, a tough mudder race or a, a mud run, or whatever you want to call it. I just put it up oh, on the race. screen. So for those that are listening to the podcast, what was that? Where'd you get that picture from? I stole it from your Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so I got addicted. I, I did uh, tough mudder was what I did for the first three years. I did probably... I don't know, seven or eight of them, uh, one of which is one of the toughest in the country in Lake Tahoe. And then I got sick of it because there's no penalties and there's no, it's like a fun run, right? Just jumping around in mud, doing obstacles, but there's no, you know, um, there's no goal other than finishing the course. So then I was introduced to Spartan and Spartan penalizes you. Spartan has a TV show. They put some of their races on TV, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. My son and I have watched some. Yeah. I see your headband there. It says Spartan. I, we've watched some of these races. Yeah, some of the some of the big boys that that's all they do for a living is that's how they get paid is they run you know and do this for a living all over the country and and have a point system and but the the deal with Spartan is you know you depending on the size of the race you maybe have between 15 and 30 obstacles and every single obstacle, if you don't get through them, you have to do 30 burpees or you can't continue. So anybody that's done a burpee, do the math. You know, um, I think my worst, uh, my first race was my first one. It was only a five mile race and I did 150 burpees. <laughs> so needless to say, I crossed the finish line. I was worthless. Yeah. Um, You're probably but, worthless for some days or weeks afterwards. Yeah. So now I, I do my training and my, my um, exercise around obstacle course racing and trail running. It's kind of my, it's kind of my decompress now. And so I've done, uh, I don't know, nine or 10 Spartan races all over the country. Um, that one was from uh, uh, Utah last year. How much does that thing you're carrying, that stone ball? How much they does that tell me, They tell me around 110 pounds. And you carry it for about uh, 10 yards. You drop it. You do three burpees. You pick it back up. You, you, you take it back another three yards. And you do five burpees. And then you go on to your next obstacle. So that was in 100-degree heat at about 8,000 feet elevation. And they, I didn't know that this guy was there taking pictures. It's one of these, you know, cameramen that's there. But I thought it was a cool picture that I got taken from me. But, you know, I'm racing with guys that are 20 to 15 to 20 years younger than I am. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to keep up with the young ones, right? But my body's allowing me to do it, so why not? And so um, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's a challenge. I love challenges. Anybody that knows me is a 
human being loves no, I, I, there's not a challenge I won't take on if I don't think I can accomplish it. And so what I do a lot now on the weekends is I do a lot of hiking, a lot of running up to uh, Alpine lakes up in the mountains. I mean, we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. So that's my decompress. That's what I do. And so I schedule between three and six races of that a year. And this is the first year I did not get to do any. I was pretty bummed. We got lots of comments flowing in here, Patrick. So, uh, and if you guys are out there watching or listening and you have a question for Patrick around this, uh, drop that into the comments and I'll, I'll pose it to him. But uh, I'm going to put on the screen here from Wes. Uh, Wes is actually a member of Team One Firefly. And uh, Wes is actually a uh, an ultra runner. You know, so yeah. the people that run the 100, you know, 50 and 100 mile races. Yeah. And uh, he says he loves. He says he loves it. Uh, love it, Patrick. A tough. He ran a tough mutter back in 2013 in a Spartan race two years back. Uh, fun times. And then uh, Jason, uh, he posted, uh, if I can't work out at least every two days, I try to go on longer walks with the pup to get some exercise. If not anything else, a great way to clear my mind. Is is that a, a fair statement now, Patrick? Like you don't feel right if you don't get out and exercise to clear your mind? Without fail. Without fail. I mean, there's a lot of other things I do to clear my mind, but that's definitely one that's always on my calendar at least two to three days a week in some fashion, whether it's on my own or with my trainer or with somebody that I work out with. Uh, a lot of it this summer was obviously outdoors for obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, it's just, it's, it's just something that I do to help with my health and to, you know, my general exercise routine to be able to let my body do what it wants to do instead of just sitting and watching TV and doing whatever. And so my, my, you know, my work life has gone down from a 60 hour or 70 hour week to 50 possibly on some given weeks. Are, are you less productive? Uh, No. I have great people. See, that's the other part of the work-life balance is that I've learned early on from my mentors, surround yourself with great people so that you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. You don't have to know everything. Let the experts and the guys you surround yourself, guys and gals you surround yourself with, let them help you. Don't be a micromanager. I was that for many years early on in my career and I wanted to do everything. I didn't want to hand anything off. And so I've learned over the years, I've got some incredible staff working for, for me and um, they take a lot of load off of me. And so I can now enjoy some of the things I didn't enjoy and still be very, very productive in the less time that I have and know that they've got my back and I've got their back when I need it. I love that. This year has been very stressful for it's, you, me, society, our families, our teams. Has uh, anything come to mind that in terms of the way that you interact with your team where you've tried to help them or aid them in dealing with some of the stresses related to COVID, whether it's the fact that they're locked in their houses and they they can't really go out into, into you know, about their life as we did pre, pre-COVID or maybe the stresses of going into job sites, knowing they're all PPE'd, PPE'd up. And that's how they now have to work. I mean, that has to carry some burden. Yeah. So I, um, I'm a very big proponent of, um, you know, making sure I check in with staff every day or two, no matter what we're doing, where we're at, what we're, you know, to make sure, especially this year, that everybody's comfortable, everybody's good. I always ask whenever a new mandate comes out for the state or it opens up or we're talking about schedules in the office. Are you sure you're comfortable? I do not want you to put be put in a position you're not comfortable. You know, uh, one of my staff members has a, a, a his father lives with them, and he's concerned about his health and well-being. So it's same with my parents and my wife, who's got you know underlying conditions that I'm concerned about. So we're very aware of that, and we're very transparent about it. Um, I've always been a proponent of that, just generally speaking, because I had early early on managers that didn't give a crap what my, what my life was. And so I think that's important and that's why we've kept people as long as we've kept them is because we take care of them. And we actually ask about their personal lives and are you okay, right? I mean, it's little things like that. I mean, you can attest, you guys are 100% virtual, right? And 40, yeah. 50 people, I mean, 
there has to be a culture around that. And so we've had to shift that culture and do more meetings virtually instead of in person. But we're always in communication. We always know where we're each each other's at. And I think that's what sets us apart from, you know, the, the general. No, it's, that's sage advice. I think that's a, a general, generally a good rule. And it just so happens here in 2020 that we're all, uh, myself included, realizing that more now than ever that, you know, taking care of our people and making sure they're good and a good state of mind is frankly, that you're nothing without your team. Right. There's no company 100%. without your team. 100% right. And it took me, I mean, those that have been with me for a while, uh, especially my project managers know, I mean, I just don't look at an application to say, yeah, you breathe and you, you have a little skill, come on board. I mean, we had to, it has to fit the right culture, the right environment, you know, the same values that we have as a company. And so it took about two years to find um, our most recent tech because we weren't just going to take anybody. And so we're glad we did because it, he melded very well with us. And, you know, we're a family, right? It's kind of like Cedia. You're a family. It's, I got people all over the world that are friends of mine. I never would have met if I had never volunteered. And so that same culture kind of comes into the, into the company as well. What has you most excited as you look forward? Um, some of the new technologies coming out. Voices. I mean, after yesterday's thing with Josh, I mean, it's just, you know, two of my guys have been talking about it and they've been bench testing it and put it in their own house and talking about the challenges and the cool things and the things they don't like. And, but after seeing what Josh is doing and what it can do for this industry, I think it's a game changer. Um, that's really exciting to me. Um, the other thing that's exciting to me is that now that I have staff that can take a lot of heavy load off of me, I'm going to go back to my roots of interacting with architects, interior designers, builders, mm. and recreating those relationships that I that got me started. I mean, back in the day, I was 100% commission. I had to, I had to hustle, make money. And all of those, all that hustling paid off because it's just recurring revenue and referral revenue in the last 15 years. But I want to get back to the roots of going back and, and educating people outside of our industry on what we do and how we can expand you know, their, their idea, their ideas and their environments. Are you a practitioner uh, of the CDA ROI or COI content? Is that a hook that you've used? And, and if so, can you explain that to the audience? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's uh, Samantha um, is the new, uh, what well, not new, she's been here, what, almost three years now. Um, she's heading that up and doing a lot of the COI classes now. But for any any um, integrator out there that's trying to hit the design community, getting the COI certification is huge because then you're accredited to be able to teach content that already exists to architects, to designers, to builders to encourage business to come your way. And yes, I'm going to get back to that to those roots. I had that certification years ago, and it's lapsed. So I definitely want to get back to it. And uh, I also partner up with vendors like Lutron and Crestron and Josh that could basically come in and help with those presentations, right? And those demonstrations. Absolutely. It's great advice. Patrick, uh, for anyone out there that's listening and or watching live or on replay. Uh, yep. We're going to, we got I'm going to ask how can people either get in touch with you or Babushka? Uh, <laughs> if, if <laughs> Babushka is the snake. I made the mistake uh, of telling you that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love it. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or Babushka or learn about DSI or learn about TDA, what, where would we send them? Um, so our parent company, Technology Design Associates, it's techdesignassociates.com. Uh, my email specifically is patrick.hartman at dsireno.us. Um, probably the best way to get a hold of me is that way. I am on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and I'm attempting Instagram. I'm not a big social media guy, but I've been told that's the deal. So um, we are. I'm trying it out, but you can definitely find me on Facebook and uh, in, or uh, and LinkedIn. Awesome. I'm going to attempt to put this on the screen. I want to make sure I got the at correct. You said DSI Reno. Is it .com? .us. 
.us. Okay, and that is different than your web domain, correct? Which is .com. .com. Yeah, that's being rebuilt and restructured as we speak. Got it. Okay, tell me if I got that right. I just put it on the screen. Yes, sir. All right, so there you go, folks. Patrick.Hartman at DSI Reno. Again, DSI Reno is a division of uh, TDA, Technology Design Associates. Uh, Patrick, it was uh, a pleasure having you on show 144. It was awesome to see you, man. A long time. It's been too long, man. Normally I would have, I could have said, I, I saw you last month at CDA, but right? you know, not this year. Yeah. Well, hopefully if you guys come to the West coast, you and your wife, come on by and look us up. Uh, we, we definitely will. We, we are of that ilk that have been uh, taking the quarantine pretty seriously Yep. Uh, so I, I have not been on an airplane personally since, uh, I want to say, yeah, I, I haven't been since March. I, I did a January event for what Savant. And then I did a March event for ProSource and I haven't been back on an airplane, but yeah, God willing, we'll get a vaccine and, and we'll be back out there soon. So absolutely. I'll definitely look you up. Uh, and I, I do, by the way, I see Ron, uh, the fearless leader. Uh, he says, hello. This is great show, guys. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate All right. you. His busy schedule. I'm surprised he got on. I'm super impressed that he was able to, to get on as well. So, Ron, thanks for, for taking the time to do that. And uh, on that note, uh, Patrick, uh, we will see you soon, sir. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.